Thank you. Um, so let's get started. I've been uh, really enjoying the last few sermons that we've been doing, the last series that we're doing on the Jesus community. I think it's so important for us to keep in mind specifically the idea of the Jesus community, because in many ways, the institution of the church, and I'm speaking globally and, and in our country as well, sometimes can be better at being an institution than actually being the Jesus community, right? Being the Jesus community is actually a really high standard. It is something that it's not as easy to do and to follow as we would necessarily think. We've been talking about being the found community, the community that, that, that has been found by, by God and that keeps on finding each other, being a generous community, being a hospitable community. Today, we'll be talking about being a forgiving community. Um, in many ways, I, 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 was, I was debating on whether to name this the forgiving community, I-N-G, the gerund, or the forgiven community, right? And I think in many ways, it's both. The forgiving actively involved in the act of forgiving and the forgiven. Because we are, in fact, a community of people that have been forgiven. Um, I think forgiveness has maybe, to a certain extent, gone a, a bad rap lately. I, I work in a field at, at work. I work a lot in the field of spiritual direction and counseling adjacent to mental health services. And I also work in the field of inclusion and diversity. So we talk a lot about... Um, communities that have been historically marginalized and historically excluded from the benefits of many things, right? And the question of what is the role of forgiveness when you're looking at institutional oppression is a really interesting question. What is the role of, of forgiveness when there has been a whole segment of our population that for hundreds of years were submitted to wicked and evil oppression by part of the country, historically speaking? That is, that's a hard one. What is the role of forgiveness when uh, a gender in our whole population was excluded maybe from, for instance, the democratic process until about 100 years ago? What is the role of forgiveness when the native uh, populations were not also given the right to vote until not even 100 years ago? They still haven't celebrated 100 years of, of having the right to vote. It is interesting to just think of, of the role that forgiveness can have when we kind of go big, right? And, and there's certainly a whole sermon that we could do on that, but that's not the sermon we're going to do today. The, what we're going to talk about is the idea of how do I forgive my neighbor? How do I forgive the offenses that happened in my life a long, long time ago, but that still have real consequences today? How do I forgive myself and should I forgive myself? And as we get started with this sermon, I do want to make a couple, a couple of caveats I've, I've personally listened and I've witnessed throughout the, the news in general that sometimes churches have used this idea of forgiveness as a mantle and a cover-up to actually hide away sin. And that is not what we're talking about today. What we're going to talk about is capital T trauma. I'm sorry, lowercase t trauma, not capital T trauma. Right? Anything that is illegal needs to be reported to the authorities. Anything that is abusive needs to be reported to the authorities. Any way in which anyone in leadership has used their authority to produce pain to, towards others, that's abuse and that is wrong and that is not what we're talking about today. I am not saying that there is no room for forgiveness and abuse. There is, but that's a different kind of conversation. What I'm talking about is more the, low, the lower case conflict, not big C case conflict. 
We've all seen in the news how leaders of churches have used this idea of forgiveness to cover up deep, deep, wicked, evil sins that have been committed in the church. And that is not at all what we're referring to today, right? So please do not hear that in any way. And if you have experienced or survived any of those situations, please understand that we are a community that is entirely committed to being healthy and to not being rooted in secrecy or abuse of any kind. And if you need help dealing with any of that or if you have any questions, please ask us because that is really, really, really important for us to know and to understand. If there's anything illegal, if there's anything non-consensual happening, that needs to be reported and we have a straightforward commitment to reporting it and being transparent about it. So that's a big big caveat, right? Um, And I'll finally say, if any of the conversation today produces some kind of a physical reaction that might be hard to process, first of all, it is okay. And secondly, you're free to not have to listen. If this is too hard, that's okay. Don't listen. Because I know sometimes when we're talking about forgiveness, sometimes we're not there. And that's okay. Right? It can be be hard. Um, Of all the Christian attitudes that we talk about, we talk about love, generosity, uh, kindness. We talk about so many things. It's interesting to me that forgiveness is not one of those things that we often talk about. I was actually thinking, it's been a long time since I listened to a sermon on forgiveness. Um, not a lot of books are necessarily written on it. And it is also interesting because the scriptures actually talk a lot about forgiveness in both the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. The idea or the command to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, to, to extend forgiveness, it is present throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. And I was actually just thinking this morning, one of the last words that Jesus said at the cross was, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. From the very beginning to the very end, forgiveness is very much present in everything that, that, that we're talking about. And I think part of the reason why we don't talk too much about it is because we often don't even know that there are things in our lives to forgive that, are, that we've been hanging on for a long, long time. I want to get kind of meta for a second. I want to kind of go a little bit up into the idea of let's talk about memory and forgiveness for just a quick second. There is a lot of things that happen in our lives. And if you realize it, if you think about it, we forget most of the things in our life. Most of the things that we can just think about, we kind of forget them. But there are a few certain things that kind of stick with us. They have a sticky factor to them. For instance, can anyone remember what they had for lunch July 9th? I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Right? I don't remember July 9th. But here's an interesting thing. For me, I remember what I had for dinner December 29th of this last year. I remember because that's our anniversary date and we actually went out to a restaurant and we were following all protocols, but we went out to the restaurant for the first time in the middle of the pandemic and it was both our anniversary, but it was also dining out in the middle of the pandemic and it was really interesting, right? And I remember exactly what I had and it was really yummy. It was down in Portland. I highly recommend it. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but I'll tell you later. (laughs) I also remember December 29th of our first anniversary. We were in Texas. And I remember we were dirt poor broke. We were just broke. And Nicole was super pregnant. She was about to give birth in a matter of days. And we went out to a Chinese buffet restaurant for our first anniversary dinner. And it was great. Highly recommended for anniversary dinners. Um, 
I don't know that I can necessarily enumerate all the dinners or the things that we've done for our anniversary. But that one I remember because it was the first and we were so broke that it was kind of like a decision to be made. Like, how are we going to celebrate our anniversary, right? And this last year, I remember it because it was like dining out in the middle of the pandemic. It was just weird. Not everything that we do is something that we, that we remember. The truth is, is that memory is actually really fluid. And unless something is, is accompanied by either a hormonal reaction to it or a special event or has deep, deep significance and meaning, we won't remember it. We remember weddings, funerals. We remember getting that awful call when your loved one passed away. We remember 9-11. But we don't remember absolutely everything. So as we talk about this, I really want to bring our mind to this idea of the things that you remember, the conversations that you keep on playing before you go to bed, right? Let me give you an example. I'll tell you a story. A few years ago, many years ago, I guess at this point, I had the great uh, privilege and opportunity to go to Israel for about a summer. And I was doing excavation and I was taking classes and I was seeing people for the most part. But there was this part of my, of my trip where I decided I was going to go by myself I was going to rent a car, drive the car up to the border with Syria, the northernmost border, and then zigzag around the country. It is not a very big country. You can go from one side to the other in about two and a half hours. Zigzag around the country all the way to the bottom with uh, Egypt and Aqaba. And I was going to hit every single national park that I could because I had got one of those passports. And both, I was going to take advantage of my money that I had invested. And of course, I was in Israel and I wanted to do this thing. Anyways. I was traveling for about three or four days completely on my own. You know, I would say hi to the guard and I would say hi to the people that, you know, would get lunch. But I was by myself for three days. And if you've ever traveled, had the opportunity to travel like that, you know that when you stay at hostels, there's usually this idea of like you can make some community with fellow travelers. But because of the way that I was traveling, I was not staying at hostels. And I, 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 had, I realized later on that I had gone days without having a conversation with someone. And what's interesting to me is that in the middle of all that, I kept on replaying fights that I had with my parents years and years and years ago. I kept on remembering things. I kept on remembering the bad decisions that I had made. And I kept on wondering if I had made the right decisions or what would have been the consequences if I had made a different kind of decision. See, even though I was 5,000 miles away, even though my parents had no clue where I was except for that I was in a different continent, I had brought with me all of these sticky moments and sticky things. I was attached to them. I brought them with me. Wherever I went, there they were. And it took three days of complete solitude and silence for me to realize there was still a lot of conversations to be had with my parents. There was still a lot of things that I was replaying. And this is where I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning, and we'll get to a, a, a Jesus parable in a second. But that often in our memory, we, ha- we have this idea that of attachment to things, of the stickiness to things. Those are the moments that you just take with you and that you replay right as you're falling asleep. Or when you're driving and it's kind of quiet, and you're kind of replaying that conversation, wondering if you made the right decision, wondering if everything's going to be okay. 
The things that we remember are the things that stick with us in our bodies, in our souls, in our joints, in our mind. We don't remember what we had for lunch July 9th. But a lot, of our, a lot of us remember what those really ugly situations, the damages and the wounds that they did on us. Now, those are kind of like the ugly things, right? But we also, we, we, things, good things stick with us. The, the, the wisdom, the resilience, the problem solving, the, oh, I remember how to, go to, how to go about that process, right? Imagine if every time you went into an airport, you have forgotten all about the ex- airport experience. It would be awful, right? In many ways... Airports are manageable for me because I kind of remember what airports are like. But if airports were a new experience every single day, I would not be flying. They're just too much, right? But we, we, we gain navigational capital. We gain conflict resolution experience. We gain resilience and the ability to resolve issues sometimes. Those also stick with us. I have one more story. I remember talking about stories that stuck with us. One time we were in Dallas when we lived in Dallas and I was going into work and I was going to take a right turn and, you know, it was in the middle of rush hour, Dallas, Texas. And I was waiting, I was yielding, waiting for traffic to give me a chance and I felt this bump in the back of my car. It wasn't anything big, but I kind of felt that I had been hit. So I put the car in park real quick. We were in the middle of the street. I come back out and I realized that I had been hit and there was a scratch. And then I'm kind of waiting for the guy, and I still remember he was riding some kind of an SUV. It was kind of like a BMW or a Mercedes, and the guy had like a dress collar shirt on. And he kind of waves at me kind of dismissively as if like, oh, it's okay, nothing happened. And I was kind of like freaking out because I'm like, well, we're in the middle of traffic, but I kind of see a scratch. It wasn't anything big. The car was fine. Everything was okay. And I just in the car and got in the car and kind of drove away, right? I get to the parking lot of my, of my workplace and I get out and I actually realize, well, it was fine, but the, there was definitely a dent and there was definitely some paint scratched off. And I remember how mad I was at the driver for that whole situation. I remember how mad I was at myself for not like having the courage and the ability to actually file a report and do something about it and to make matters worse. Every single month and year, that scratch would get bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, by the time I actually jumped my car, it was maybe about four or five inches round. And every single time I saw it, I was like, ah! I was attached to that moment. There was this stickiness to that moment, right? That happened in Dallas, Texas. And I remember thinking about it the last time that I took my car to the junkyard here in Freeport, Maine. (laughs) I brought that moment that I, t- I was attached to that moment for 3,000 miles, 2,000 miles from Dallas, Texas, all the way to Maine. Now, I'll give you some more context. That car was a 2002 Hyundai Elantra with over 230,000 miles on it. It was old. In reality, I didn't lose any functionality from it, and I didn't lose any value from it either. But I was attached to the idea that a hurt had happened, right? And there was this, almost this sense of, of unforgiveness. There's this interesting passage in Luke 18. And it's right at the top of your, of your, of your uh, worship pages. It says that, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I, shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. 
Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or 70, 70 times seven times. It's a small story, but it's a really powerful story. <clears throat> and then I'll go to another piece, and we'll get to that in a second. But Jesus here is having an interesting inter- interaction with Peter. And there's a few cultural pieces here that we might miss if we're not fully in tune with what's happening in this 2,000-year-old story. But um, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my sibling who is sinning against me? And I love the example that he gives because there's almost this sense of like, I'm going to be really, really, really generous. I'm going to say seven. Lord, should I forgive my, my offending brother seven times? Right? There is this sense of like grandiosity and I am better than the rest of them because I'm offering to forgive all the way up to seven. Now remember the number seven has cultural significance in this time frame. Seven is a perfect number. Seven is a number that kind of talks about cycles. The earth was created. The universe was created in seven days. Seven means more than just seven units, right? What Peter really is saying is, would I just let the whole cycle happen and will I forgive a really perfect number, which is seven times? The other thing that I find interesting is that Peter is making the assumption that he knows that he was sinned against and that he doesn't have anything to ask forgiveness for. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I've been in conflict, yeah, maybe someone else has said something bad, but I've also said bad things. It's rarely the case when I fight with my wife that only she gets to apologize and I don't have to apologize, right? I don't know if that's just us. We have this funny thing that sometimes we do once we've been mad for like a couple of minutes and we're trying to get over it where we both will just count to three and say I'm sorry at the same time, right? We'll just say one, two, three, and then we say I'm sorry and then we just rest the thing, right? Because we want to get past it. It is rarely the case that things are as simple as, let me go ahead and forgive you seven times. I think when we're younger, we think that things are this or that, black and white, very binary. But when we get a little bit older, we completely start to understand that things are a lot more complicated than that, are they? I think of that famous story in Le Miserable when the kid steals the loaf of bread because he was hungry. It, right? Like, yes. The merchant was sinned against, but the kid was hungry. I think of so many current situations happening in our country and in the world where, yes, there is sins happening, but people are hungry. People are fearing for their lives. What would you not do if you had to protect your family? I would do just about anything to protect my family. It's complicated to determine when we're being sinned against. So Peter's saying, all the way up to seven? And then Jesus says, Peter, it's not up to seven. It's 70 times seven that you're called to forgive. And I think in Peter's defense, to a certain extent, if you forgive once, okay, good. If you forgive twice, okay, that's good. But the majority of us are not going to be in a position where we have to keep on forgiving someone unless there's a commitment to relationship. And that's why I'm talking about a community of forgiveness. Our marriages, our children, our churches, the people that we're close to, our families, we have this commitment towards forgiveness. 
And when Jesus says to Peter, no, Peter, it's not seven, but it's 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, whatever system you have created for yourself, I want you to just blow it out of the water because it doesn't matter. Whatever amount of things that you think that you're doing that is just generous enough and that you think you're going to impress me and God, I just want you to just completely eradicate it from your thinking because the way and the mercy and the grace that I'm talking about is not a mercy and a grace that you can quantify one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and it's done. The mercy of God is going to be so much bigger and so much greater that you're not going to be able to quantify it. You keep on forgiving time and time and time and time again. And we forgive and we forgive because we have been forgiven. And the truth is, I like the system and I like Peter's system better than Jesus's. I have to confess. I like knowing that seven is my limit and my boundary. And if we get to eight, well, that's on you. But I've done my duty and I get the gold star. I like that system. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that system. It's actually an infinite amount of times. In God's economy, mercy is handed out like a renewable resource. Mercy is just everywhere. Mercy is just like like the sun that is everywhere. The sun is shining on the just and the unjust. When it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust. When the river rolls down the mountain, it rolls down on the just and the unjust. In God's economy, mercy is handed out to everyone and to everybody, just like the light of the sun inundates absolutely every part of this world. Where can you go where sun is not going to hit you? Where can you go where there is no light? It's everywhere. That's exactly the boundary, the endless boundary of mercy that God is trying to tell us. This is why the scriptures are telling us and admonishing us, forgive one another, be kind towards one another, be merciful. In fact, we forget this. One of the Beatitudes is, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will reach mercy. When you're surrounded by the infinite light of God, what else do you have to offer but light? When you're surrounded in the incredible and immense ocean of mercy of God, what else do you have to offer but mercy? How else can we offer anyone else, anything else but forgiveness when we have been forgiven so deeply and entirely forgiven? The measuring stick that we use, Jesus said, is the measuring stick that he will use against us. Think about that for a second. The system you're creating to judge and label others is the exact same system that God will use to measure against you. I immediately want to say, have mercy. I don't want a system measuring me. I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm not going to belong. I know I'm not good enough. When God is saying, when Jesus is saying 70 times 7, He's saying, don't think that there is anything you can do to create a system of righteousness based on your ability to forgive another. Just accept God's endless bounty of mercy towards you and offer that same amount of mercy towards someone else. The story continues. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began began the settlement, 
a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Notice the amount. 10,000 bags of gold. A ton of money was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Remember, how much did this servant owe the king? 10,000 bags of gold, right? When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. He owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told on him to the master. Then the master called the servant in, and he said, You wicked servant, I cancel all your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Until he should pay all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. This is a hard story. It's a story that we don't often talk about. But Jesus is saying something really, really, really interesting here. Yes, he's talking about the ability and the responsibility that we have to hand out mercy the same way that we have been handing out mercy. But notice what happened in the story. When the servant who had his debt canceled goes and puts the other servant in jail, he's basically throwing the book at him. He's throwing the the legal system at him. You can actually argue he's not doing anything wrong, illegal, or immoral. He's doing the right thing. And what Jesus says is that the king then uses the exact same system that the servant had created to produce torture on him because of his wickedness and his ability to not be forgiving. I find that this happens quite a bit. Anytime there's national religious leaders who are known of being the guardians of purity, pretty soon you'll find out that they had some secrets in it. It happens all the time, right? There was stealing from the church. There was abuse going on. There was all kinds of things happening. Because anytime we create this system and we use this system to judge others, to condemn others, to not forgive others, God uses that same box on us. At best, you don't grow beyond your box. Which if you think of it, that's a pretty sad story, isn't it? To live in your little box all of your life and to be stuck there. At worst, you're tortured by your own box. That's hard. To be tortured by our own religious systems. 
because of our attachment to labeling things, to being stuck with things, to decide who is right and who is wrong, and for us to have measuring sticks against one another when we ourselves have been forgiven a hundred gold, a hundred bags of gold. Let me finish. Let's go back to the beginning for a second. Forgiveness is not the removal or the forgetfulness of the event that happened. Forgiveness is not me fooling myself into thinking that the, that the fender bender with the scratch never happened. It did happen. Forgiveness is the remo- it's not the removal or forgetfulness of the offense committed. It is the unattachment of the shame and the emotion that comes with it. Or the judgment that we're so often so prone to give. Forgiveness, it is the act of no longer living as a subject to the situation. I could have chosen to leave my fender bender in Dallas, Texas, but I brought it all the way up to Maine. And I'm being silly and talking about something small, but there are big things in our lives that we carry with ourselves from relationship to relationship, from state to state, from job to job, from church to church. Forgiveness is the act of no longer living as a subject to the offense. Forgiveness is unattaching ourselves from from the narrative of hurt, toxicity, and unhealthiness from acts of harm that others have done to us. It is no longer identifying with them without fooling ourselves into thinking that they never happened. It is accepting the reality that it did happen And that at the same time, people are more complicated than that. And at the same time, we don't fully know the whole story. And that evil does exist. And sometimes people mean to harm us. And that God can use that harm for the good. When Jesus is asking Peter and asking all of us to forgive an infinite amount of times, he's asking us to live lives not identified with the hurt and the pain and the evil doing that other people have cost in us. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to identify as the community of people who are the forgiving people because you have been forgiven. We don't identify ourselves with the pain and the hurt, although it happened. We identify ourselves with the liberating and freeing act of offering forgiveness because the the light of the sun is shining everywhere. So what else can we offer anyone else but sunlight and love and mercy? We identify ourselves with the God of love, the God of forgiveness, the God of mercy, the God who is constantly calling us towards relationship in love and in mercy. We are the forgiving community because Jesus came to give us a new community, a new set of rules. It is no longer an eye for an eye. Jesus came to wake us up to the reality that God has been saying to us since the very beginning that we are gods, that we are good, that we are who God says that we are, and that we get to lean into forgiveness. I'll finish saying this. As long as we're not able to let go of all the stuff that has been stuck with us for all of these years, we're not going to be able to fully embrace our newfound community 
in identity of being one with God. As long as it is the hurt and the pain and the bitterness that is in our heart, we're not going to find the freedom to be one with God. It's going to be us, God, and the hurt. Us, God, and the event. Us, God, and the evil. We're not our hurt. We are who God says we are. And the beauty and the most exciting thing, and if there was a second sermon, this would be it, is that in this environment, in this healthy, healing, judgment-free zone, that is where healing begins. Not before. Healing can only happen in a healthy environment. Jesus' ultimate call is a call to healing, to wholeness, to oneness with Him. So the call for us today is, are we ready to forgive 70 times 7? Are we ready to extend God's mercy in an infinite way to all those who have hurt us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of mercy that you have given us in the scriptures. We thank you that we are not our pain. We are not our hurt. We are not the abuse that happened against us. We are not victims. We are good. You created us to be good. And Father, we ask that we will be, that we will have faith enough and faithful enough to be able to extend that goodness and grace and mercy to everyone around us. Father, increase our faith. Give us the ability to keep on sharing in such a generous and radical way of your mercy. Allow us to be merciful so that we too might find mercy. So Father, in this morning we ask for mercy. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on our families. Have mercy on our communities. Have mercy on our churches. So that we too might be a merciful people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.